Today's daf Meseches Soita is daf Memdalid. As with Hashem, we're going to finish the eighth parak and start the ninth today. We're going to have four sections in today's daf. The first is really a finale of yesterday. Six memras that were said in the name of Rabbi ben Yaakov. We'll have the sixth one today and finish that off. Then we're going to move on to a brisa that discusses the different scenarios of people who would or would not be exempted from war. Really, it's referring back to the Mishnah where we spoke about uh, people who had gotten married but didn't do Nesuin yet. For Just as an example, we're going to discuss that now in the Rayas, the proofs from the Psukim. Um, in the Brisa, we'll discuss if he got married, he built a house, and we'll have four uh, four things that we learn out, four, version, four uh, opinions why the Psukim list these returnees in that specific order. Um, and we'll finish off the Mishnah also, the, that prior Mishnah's discussion of these people that go back but support and supply water and food to the other people at war. And then we'll discuss the final grouping of people who don't even go out for an entire year. We'll show the sources for that. The third section of today's daf is going to be the third speech that occurs at battle where we learned earlier the Shotrim would speak and they would also publicize what they said. Other Shotrim would publicize what was being said. We'll have three opinions what Hayari Vaharach Levav refers to. And we'll discuss a little further finishing this conversation about how they would act at war with a machlokis actually regarding uh, the differences between Mechamis Rishos, Mechamis Mitzvah, and the Gemara will clarify that Mishnah for us as well, the distinctions and these opinions. And then we'll move on to the fourth section of today, which is going to be uh, the new parak, the ninth parak towards the bottom of Memdal Bays which is the seventh of the eight items that have to be said in Lashon HaKodesh, back Lamed Beis Amud Aleph, that were listed, Egla Arufa, which is the procedure that the Zikanim would have to do if they found a dead body. And that'll launch us into the discussion of Egla Arufa. Specifically, we'll discuss the Machlokas Tanakam, which is Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yehuda, how many Zikanim have to be involved. Mishnah will also tell us when they wouldn't have to do this Egla Arufa procedure. Gemara that we'll finish off with today will clarify for us what, uh, what the basis of the Machlokas Tanakama, which is Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda, is. And at the end, very end, we're going to expound two psukim for drashas that are associated with Egla Rufa. So let's begin, as is Hashem, the very bottom of Mem Gimel Amud Beis, the last Memra of Rabbi Lezeb and Yaakov, quoted in this list, the sixth Memra. Om Rabbi Yitzchak, Om Rabbi Yechad, Mishmur Rabbi and Yaakov, Tapa Mem Dalamad Aleph. Meis Toifis Arba Amos Latuma. There is a rabbinic Tuma that Chachamim enacted regarding a dead body that if anybody's within four Amos of it, even if they don't touch it or not, are not Mahil over it, they're still considered Tami Midrabon. And Rashi explains because people will uh, inadvertently either touch it or uh, be play in, a, in an arrangement that it's over it, Tumas Oihel, and this could be that it would occur with Ochle Taharas, people that consume Taharas, and therefore they made a Gezeira, so as people stay far away from this, that if you're within four Amos, you're considered Tamid Rabbana And the Gemara explains we have a, a Mishnah in Meseches Ahalos that supports this ruling. Why? So now just a brief background before we see this inside. The way they used to bury is that they had subterranean caves that they would bury, and we've spoken about this before. Kuchim, specifically they were called, which were these uh, caverns inside of the cave, or these uh, holes that they would put the bodies in. Now, before you went into the cave that had the dead bodies itself, there was a chatzar outside of it. So essentially the raya the Gemara is going to bring is as follows, is there's going to be a discussion now if you were in that chatzar, which is the courtyard outside of the cave where they would bury the dead bodies, 
as long as it was a certain size, you were not considered Tameh. So the Gemara is going to say at the end of this clarification of the Machlokas Beis Shammai Beis Hillel, as long as there is a, the reason for that is because there's a marked difference between the Chatzar and the cave where the dead bodies are, and you're not going to make a mistake and come in contact with Tumah. But that implies if there's a dead body out in the open and there's no clear marker between it where it's located and the location that you're in, you would be considered tame within four amos of it. So the Mishnah, the Gemara says now, the Mishnah in Allah's teaches, Chatzar HaKever, the courtyard outside of the cave that held these dead bodies. Ha'aymed B'Saychev, somebody stands inside of the Chatzar, Tahr, he's considered Tahr. However, Beis Shammai says, V'hu she'yu arba amos devre Beis Shammai. Shammai says, it would have to be that the Chatzar itself is four amos, meaning it has a significance on its own. If it's four Amos, then you could say that it's considered a separate area and it's not bottled to the Ma'ara, to the cave with the dead bodies. Less than that, it's considered part of the cave and you'd be considered Tameh already, even though you haven't come in contact with the cave. Beisol is more lenient and he says even if it's only four Tvachim, that's already significant as we find elsewhere in Alacha as a Makam Bifneatma, its independent area, and it wouldn't be considered Tameh if you just stood in that Chatzar. Continues the discussion, Misham Beisol Bamed, Varim now there were two ways that they would enter into this chatzer. There was a scenario where the chatzer hakever, the chatzer that was outside of the uh, cave for for bodies, had an entrance above, and they would essentially just lower themselves into that chatzer or jump in. And then there was also a scenario where it was sloping from the sides that they would walk down stairs or some sloping ramp-like area to get into the chatzer. So the Gemara clarifies, When do our base shot base lenient and say Fort Tvachim is sufficient to be considered a separate area? And you're not Tommy if you stand in that Chatzar HaKever. That's Shepiz Chamil Mala. The, that would only be where the entrance is from above. But if the entrance is from the side and it slants down and you would walk into the Chatzar, everybody would agree, means Beisil would concede to Beis Shammai in order to be considered a separate area, it would have to be at least four Amos. Now the Gemara says this is the opposite is logical. Which direction means the opposite is logical. When the entrance is from the side, midrid you can carefully lower yourself and leave because you can be careful as to how you're getting in and getting out. You're walking in from the side. So there it makes sense. Beis Hill would be lenient to say, as long as it's for Tvachim, you're going to be careful. You're not going to come in contact with the dead bodies. You're not going to be mile over the dead bodies. And therefore, for Tvachim would be sufficient of an area so as not to be considered Tami Midra from the body in the cave. Ella, uh, but uh, but milmala. But when the entrance is above and you can't really see how you're getting in and getting out, it's more logical then that you would be mile accidentally over the dead body. So the Gemara says, Let's change that statement. When is it true that Beisil says four amos is sufficient, four tvachim is sufficient as a separate area from the cave, and you wouldn't be considered tummy if you're in that chutzar akever? That's where you can see how you're getting in and getting out. You're not going to be suspended over the, the kever and be considered Tameh. There were the entrances from above and you're going to have to climb down. You can't exactly see where you're going and climb out. And there is a likelihood that you'll accidentally be mahil over the graves. There you would need four amos in the kev, in the chatzara kever to constitute a separate area so as not to be considered Tameh. But the Gemara now concludes its proof this entire conversation that we could be lenient and say that the area of the Chatzar is considered a separate place even though you're within a, a short 
distance of the bodies, that's only because you're dealing with a chatzar kever. The misayma mechitzta, its walls are clearly marked, which means there's the chatzar and then there's the kever, the ma'ara, where the bodies are buried. So there, Chazal are lenient to say that as long as it's clearly marked, even if you're within a short distance of the bodies, you're not considered tameh. But a general dead body, Midrabanan, would grab the surrounding area, i.e. if you're within four amos of it, and there's no markers distinguishing where they are and where you are, you'd be considered tameh. This is a riot to Elizabeth Yaakov's last statement. Let's move on to the second section. Now we're going to discuss that first grouping of people we had in the Mishnah back that said when they would uh, go back from war and then still support the war effort from the back. So Tanur the Brisa teaches, Asher Eras, when it says in the Pasuk, who has done Erasin and hasn't done Nesuin, whether he did Erasin to a Besula or an Almana, or if it was even a Shemeris Yavma, even if you're dealing with five brothers, one of them died in war, Kulan and they would all go back. We, we mentioned earlier, because theoretically, all of, all of them have this relationship with the Yavama now, that there's some Zika, there's some connection, they could be his wife, so they would all have good reason to go back and not have to continue the war effort. Uh, although, the support from the back. The Pasuk says, and he hasn't taken her, he hasn't consummated the marriage, but it says, it says he hasn't consummated with her. So what's the emphasis of the hey? This is the b'risa now. Any of these cases where there, there was a marriage, but it was an iser lav that occurred, that would not be grounds for him to go back if he had only done erisin and not nesuin yet, because in these scenarios, there's an iser lav that occurred that's excluded from lelekacha. Says the Gemara, and now the Gemara interjects with the bride in, in the Brisa. It says, "Lay mid lake Rabbi Yisiag Lili." this Brisa is not like Rabbi Yisiag Lili. It's Rabbi Yisiag Lili because we're going to learn the next Mishnah. Rabbi Yisiag Lili tells us, that when the Shotrim would speak, the third section of the speech that occurred, which we'll see in the next Mishnah, the bottom of Memdalim Ralef, it said, "Those that are fearful." Yisiag Lili said, "This refers to somebody that is scared of Averis in his hand, so he doesn't want to go to war." Lachaira says the Gemara, the fact that you're saying these people that are married to somebody be'iser, they would not go back from war. That implies that it's not like Rabbi Yisrael says, we learn from Yari Barach Levav, that they would go back from war if they have some Averis in their hand and they're scared that it'll be a chayva against them. And for the Gemara, you could even say that this b'risa fits the opinion of Yisrael Gilili. As Rabbi explains, when you talk about these Isurim, these Asur marriages, there's Isur love involved, you're only chayav for these Isurim when you consummated the marriage. Matam, what's the reason? So this is what we find by the Kohanim. It says, It says, don't marry these women because because you'll desecrate your children. You only desecrate your children. There's only a concept of children when you actually have relations and you consummate the marriage. So Mishum Hachi, the Gemara says, therefore, according to Rabbi, you would not get Malchus for this Isser of marrying these women, uh, these Isser Kahuna, all, all, until the Bia actually occurred. So says the Gemara, of Yisak Lili, it's true, he would say that someone that's Yarav Arach Levav, that's after you consummated the marriage, so there's an Isser that you'd go back for based on a Yarav Arach Levav. These people, uh, because of the fact 
they haven't consummated the marriage yet, they haven't done an Isser. So they wouldn't go back because they're excluded from the Pasuk of Lelikacha as they haven't done an Isser yet. Rashi adds in over here, there was other ones in the list of Mamzeris and Asina. We learn from the Psukim that they're also only going to be liable when they actually have relations, but not by Kiddushin, and therefore they wouldn't go back from the war effort. Continues the Gemara, Tzadon back in Abraisa. Asher Bon, Asher Nat, Asher Eras. The Gemara says something very interesting over here. The order of the verses here imply uh, the, it says Asher Bona, somebody that builds a house, Asher Nata, that he plants a vineyard, Asher Eras, that he married a woman. Limdatar Derech Eretz. So the Gemara tells us here um, that the Torah teaches us Derech Eretz, means the appropriate way of behavior when it comes to these three uh, life events. Sheyivna Adam Bayis, that first the person should build a house, Viyita Kerem, and plant a vineyard, which the Rambam learns means he should have a source of Parnasa, Vacharkachisa Isha, and then only he, then he should get married. It seems like. We don't necessarily do this today. Shlom said in his great wisdom in Mishlei. He says, first arrange outside your work. Arrange your field for you. And then, then build your house. So we're going to have four explanations of this verse. The first one ties into what we just said. Prepare for yourself outside your work, Zebai is referring to building a house. Arrange for yourself your fields, Zekarim referring to having a vineyard or a source of Parnassah. Then you should get married, which is referred to building your house. That's the first explanation. The second explanation of Arachar, actually refers to learning Torah. There's a proper order, which is first, arrange your prepare your work outside. Zemnik referring to learning Chumash. Arrange your field for yourself. Zemnik referring to the Mishnah. Or learning the Halachas without necessarily understanding the reasonings and the explanations. And the third part of the puzzle, build yourself a house, refers to Gemara, which Rashi explains over here, is to give Svara and understand the reasonings and who we follow in Halacha. Number three, version number, explanation number three of this Pasuk, in Mishnah. That when it says, prepare for yourself outside your work, or refers to Mikra and Mishnah. Arrange the field for yourselves, like Gemara, first understanding the, the Torah that you've learned already. And the third part of the Pasuk, we're building your house. It refers to the fact that after you've learned properly, now you can actually perform Maisim Toivim. The final, ver- the final explanation of the Ezebanesh of Yesek Lilio Emer Hachin Mechutz Malach Tachazem Mikro Mishnah Vigemara. The first part of the Pazak refers to all three areas of learning. Va'atita Bisadalacha. Second part of the Pazak, Elo Maisim Toivim, refers to the performance that you can do after understanding Torah properly. Achar Vanisa Besecha, Drosh Vikabal Sachar. You can analyze and expound, and then you receive reward, and you can uh, understand things on a much deeper level. Let's move on. We said of the third category of people that would not even go to war in the first place, and really we're going to focus in, we said in the Mishnah, that if somebody builds a house on its original measurements, it had collapsed or destroyed it, then he wouldn't go back from where. So ton of the Brisa adds in, It's true, if he built it on its original measurements, he wouldn't go back from war, but if he built one extra row, Rashi says in its height or in its uh, width, he would go back because that's already considered a new house. 
Sharon lo hayachayzer. If he built a brick house in Sharon, he wouldn't go back for more. Tanim b'pneishim mechad shenaisay pa'amayim b'shavua. Because it had to be renewed, it had to be rebuilt twice in a seven-year cycle. The point is, these types of houses didn't survive, didn't last. That wasn't a good reason then to go back. These weren't considered significant structures. So we said there was this grouping of people that wouldn't even leave to war and then go back. They wouldn't leave at all for a year. Tanar Abanan says the b'raisa, Isha Chadash, as we said, if he married a new wife and he didn't sue in, so then he wouldn't go back from war. I'd only think that it, he'd be exempt for a year from war if he married an Isha Chadasha. That's objectively Chadasha, meaning she's a Besula. Almana, Grushminayan. How do I know that if he married a woman, didn't sue in, but she was an Almana or a Grusha, that he also would be exempted? Talmud Laimar, Isha Mikal Makam. That's where we use the word Isha. It specifically says Isha first. As long as it's his new wife, it doesn't make a difference. So why does it emphasize Chadasha? It means it's his new wife. As opposed to if he remarried a woman that he had divorced prior, he would not be exempt from war for a year because she's not new to him. It says he doesn't go out to the war effort. Maybe you think that he doesn't go out to fight actually. But like the first grouping of people, he would have to support the war effort by supplying water and food and repairing the ways. Therefore, the Pasuk says, actually, it's not incumbent on him in any way, which means he's completely exempt. So I might think included in the total exemption is somebody that built a house and didn't live in it at all. Which is the first grouping? Not a karen v'loy chililoy. Somebody that planted a vineyard hasn't benefited from it at all. Eras ishu v'loy lekacha. He did erasim, but not nesuin. I think they're also entirely exempted. But we know that they have to support the war effort from the back. Talmud Leimar, a love. Therefore, you have a mute. It says in this third grouping, a love on him. A love yatamavir, avalatamavir alachirim. Meaning he's completely exempt when he did nesuin. He started to live in the house, etc. But somebody who hasn't yet consummated, built, uh, lived in the house somewhat, they would be exempt from the war effort, but they would have to support the the uh, the uh, war from the back by supplying water and food etc asks the Gemara once you tell me this third grouping is totally exempt from so why does it have to say they don't have to go out to war it's obvious if they don't have to support the war effort at all they also don't have to go out to war so the Gemara answers that if somebody would break this Shanari Shona this first year after he had done the and built the house and started to live in it etc there would be two Lavin that he's breaking and uh, in the same actions. Moving on now to the third section of the day, Zuck the Mishnah. This is the third speech that would occur. We learned earlier that, again, the first speech, which we learned to Mishnah a while back, was where the Kohen would speak and the Kohanim would project. The second speech was where the Shotr would speak and the, the Kohen would speak and the Shotrim would project. And this is the third speech, which begins Vyasva Shaitrim. This Vashaitrim, which is the Shotrim speaking and the Shotrim projecting. So the, the Pasuk says, The Shotrim would, would continue on now and speak the, a third speech to the people. And it says that they would say, could go back, the people that are fearful. So they have three opinions who these people are. Rebekiva says to be taken literally. They can't stand in the... Uh, approaching battle, Rashi says, means they can't stand uh, in war with uh, with uh, security because they're going to be so scared of the approaching war effort. Or see the glistening swords. Rabbi says, no. It doesn't refer to somebody that's actually scared of the war, but rather he's scared of the averus that are in his hands. He thinks that he has averus, and therefore. 
he's allowed to go back. And Rabbi Yisya Aglili continues and says, The Torah is merciful on this fellow who is going back because of a virus that he has, and he's scared that he won't have the schools to be successful, and he'll die in war. Because of that, the Torah didn't want him to be embarrassed for returning for that, so they would also have the other three types of people return, somebody that had built a house, etc., so that he doesn't feel embarrassed. He'll go back because of that, meaning he'll go back with them, and then people won't know that he's going back because of his fear of his Averis. Third opinion, so any of these isurim, now this is talking about after nesuin, so as we learned earlier, that's actually the isurlav already. If he engaged in any of these, that's hayari v'rachalevav. Now the Gemara will explain to us what the difference is between Rabbi Yaisi Haglili and Rabbi Yaisi Lachar. They're both saying where he has a virus and he's nervous about that. Continues the Mishnah. The Pasuk says, when the Shodrim have finished talking to the people, they would appoint officers for the legions at the front of the army. Now the Mishnah adds in, they would also put officers in the back of the war, of the army. Why? So the Mishnah explains, they would be able to, in the front, they would pick them up in front of them, meaning if people would fall down in the middle of battle, they would help them get back up. In the back, why were they there? behind them, and they had these axes of iron in their hands. There were other ones behind them, and there were axes of iron in their hands. Anybody that wanted to return, means run away after all this has been said and done. He, the, these, these officers that were behind the war effort were allowed to cut off their uh, thighs, meaning either were allowed to cut off their legs they were, or, or smash their legs. The point is, because, turning to Memdal now this, the way that sets this up is difficult, but what it means is, the beginning, literally it means, the beginning of running is falling. The Gemara is going to clarify, really what it means to say is, that the beginning of falling is running, which means if people start running away, it demoralizes the entire nation. And we're going to Shanamar, as the Pasuk says in Shmuel Aleph, this is talking about when the Plishtim conquered the Aaron, the children of Eli died, Eli himself died, not in the war, but when he heard the news. And the Pasuk says, Shanamar Nas Yisrael, it's the beginning of Shmuel Aleph, Shanamar Nas Yisrael, if Plishtim, Yisrael ran away in front of the Plishtim, Vegama gave a ba'am, and also a great, uh, a great, plague afflicted the people. So it's a little bit of a drush, but the point is, you see, they ran away and then they started to collapse. Meaning the Klishtim started to win the uh, war effort. The, and also, we have another source for this, it also says at the end of Shmuel Aleph, which is when Shaul went to war against the Klishtim, which is the war that he eventually died in. It says, elsewhere it says, the Jews started to run away from the Plishtim, and they started to fall as dead bodies. The point is, again, you see this concept, that's why these people were appointed behind the nation uh, to dissuade others from running, of, of the nation from running away. Final point of the Mishnah here, when is it true that we say people have the capacity to leave the war effort? So the Tanakhama says, when it's a war of voluntary means. But if it's a war of a mitzvah, everybody has to go. Even a chasan from his uh, chamber and the kala from her chuppah. 
Um, the Chayra, the Kala from Rechuppah, they wouldn't really go to war, but they would support the war effort, I guess, with water and food. Amar Biyudah, Biyudah says, When was it true that they could leave the war effort? When you're talking about wars that were wars of mitzvah. But if it's an obligatory war, and everybody would have to go out. Again, even the Chasen and the Kala. The Gemara will clarify us what is the distinction between the description of Tanakam and Rabbi Yehuda in terms of the times that no one was exempted. But first, the Gemara wonders, what's the difference between Rabbi Yaisi Aglili and Rabbi Yaisi? Ma'ika ben Rabbi Yaisi, zok the Gemara. Ma'ika ben Rabbi Yaisi, Rabbi Yaisi Aglili. So Rabbi Yaisi said, Hayare varach levav is somebody that's fearful of the Averis in his hands. And Rabbi Yaisi, Rabbi Yaisi, not Rabbi Yaisi Aglili, but Rabbi Yaisi said, specifically these Isr Lavin of marriages. So the Gemara answers, Ika benayu Avera Drabanan. The difference between them would be when you're dealing with someone who's fearful of an Avera Drabanan in his hands. According to Rabbi Yaisi Aglili, so it's specifically... Uh, Rabbi Yisrael just says someone's fearful from Averis in his hands. So this person, he is a Surim Drabanan, he also would be allowed to go back because he's fearful from Averis in his hands. Rabbi Yisrael said it specifically did a Surim Dairaisa of those marriages that are prohibited. So Averis Drabanan, he wouldn't be allowed to go back. Who would the following Brisa follow? It says in the Brisa, Sach bin If somebody spoke between putting on the Tefillin Shalroi, Ayad, and Tefillin Shalroish, Avera he The Brisa says it's an Avera. Rashi explains it's an Avera Drabanan. Because the halacha is, in such a scenario, if somebody put on tefillin shalyad and he makes a bracha, uh, he, he's not supposed to make a second bracha. This is how Rashi learns based on the Gemara Menachas. Uh, actually, different customs emerge from this. But if he speaks between the yad and rosh, so then he actually has to make a second bracha. He has to make two brachas because of that speech. So if he doesn't make that second bracha, on the tefillin shal rosh, that's considered an avera midrabanan. The chayzer aleh me'orche amalchama, and then he would be allowed to go back from battle because of this type of sin. Come on, obviously, who's this like Rabbi Yisaglili? Because that's an ised rabanan, time of brachas, and therefore uh, that brisa would clearly follow his opinion. Mantan al hadetan rabanan. Who would be the following brisa? The brisa says shama kol kranos v'hirtia. If somebody heard the sounds of the trumpets in war, and he started to get nervous. Hagafas trees in Virtia, not just nervous, trembling, meaning he's, visi- he's visibly fearful. Hagafas trees in Virtia, he hears the smashing of the shield and he starts to tremble. He sees the glistening of the swords and he starts to urinate out of fear. Chaiser, he could go back. Even Rabbi Yisrael would agree that he can go back in this case, Mishim Dechsev, because the Pasuk finishes off, He shouldn't demoralize his brother's heart like his heart. If someone's so phys- visibly, physically fearful, he would be allowed to go back so as not to hurt the war effort. The Mishnah continues, when he would finish, and he would say, why would he be allowed to go back why would they set up officers behind the people? Because if somebody should start to run away, they should uh, cut off his legs. Because tchilas nisa nefila, and that doesn't actually make sense. The Gemara says, "Hi, mivnei tchilas nisa nefila." When the Mishnah says, "Because the beginning of running is falling," mivnei tchilas nefila nisa mi boilei. You really say. The beginning of falling is running, which means when people start to run away, so then it causes the people to be demoralized and they start to lose the war effort. So that's what it means to say. That's why they were allowed to uh, harm those that were attempting to run away. So they stood behind the 
army to dissuade them from running. Now the mission to finish it off with the Machlech is Bamed, Varmur, When do we say that there are these allowed to go back from war? So Tanakhama said, when you're dealing with Machemes Harishos, a voluntary war, Machemes Mitzvah, everybody had to go out to war, even Chasen and Kalin. Rabbi Yehuda said the distinction was Mitzvah versus Chayva. So the Gemara clarifies, Really, the Machlechus isn't so significant as it sounds. But Rabbi Yochanan says that when the Rabbanan used the word Rishus, Rabbi Yehuda is referring to the same type of battle, he just calls it Mitzvah. And Mitzvah de Rabbanan, when the Rabbanan used the word Mitzvah, which people are not allowed to leave, Zui Chayvet Rabbi Yehuda, that's the same war that Rabbi Yehuda is referring to. Amar Rav, Rav clarifies, Milchamas Rabbi Yeshua Lichbaish. When we talk about the war of Yeshua to conquer Eretz Yisrael, Devri HaKol Chayvet, everybody agrees that's an obligatory war and everybody has to go to that. Milchamas Beis David L'Revacha, and the wars of Beis David, Rashi explains when he conquered certain areas outside of Eretz Yisrael, like Aram Tzayva, to take uh, taxes, etc., to expand the borders of Israel. Everybody agrees that's a Rishos, and people would be allowed to go back, as we said before. Kipligi, when is there a Machlekes of Yudah and Tanakama? Is a preemptive strike so that Goyim wouldn't attack Eretz Yisrael, attack the Jewish people. Mar Kari La Mitzvah, now Rabbi Yehuda calls that Mitzvah. Umar Kari Rishus, however, the Tanakama calls that a Rishus. Now, Fkamina, the difference between the two opinions is, Laisek be mitzvah, Shepatr mina mitzvah. Meaning, according to Rabbi Yehuda, since you're involved in a war that's considered a mitzvah, you're exempt from other types of mitzvahs. According to Tanakama, that's not called a mitzvah, it's a, it's a, a Rishus. And uh, since that's a. Um, since that's a rishus, you're not exempted from other mitzvahs. But essentially, they agree in general that's just the nafkamina in the scenario that they would disagree. We finished the eighth parak. Moving on now with the ninth parak and the fourth section of today. Now, back on Lama Bezim with Aleph, we discussed how the eight things had to be said in Lashna Kaidish. The seventh of the eight was Egla Rufa. That's where we're going to start in this new and final parak. The ninth parak of Masachis Saita. I just want to point one thing out that the order that we discussed then was actually not in order. Because if we look back, first we discussed uh, Kohen Gadol, how he spoke to the people, uh, which was in Lashon HaKodesh. That was the. Um, actually, if we go back, we discussed the Birkas Kohanim, which is the fourth. That was back on Lamed Zayanamud Beis. Then we had Kohen Gadol on Memam Mubez, which was the fifth of the eight. Then on Memam Aleph, we had the Parshas HaMelech, which is the sixth of the eight. And then we skipped Egla Arufa, and we went on in the beginning of the eighth parak, Membez Amud Aleph, to Meshuach Melchama. So now we're going back to the seventh. I'm not sure why it goes out of order like that. Maybe it goes out of order because those, the Kohanim, related more to the concept of what the Kohen and the king, or the Kohen Gadol and the king would do, as Meshuach Muhammad is more associated with that, as opposed to Egla Rufa, it's an entirely different category. So that's why we're switching and going out of order. But either way, we're discussing now the seventh of the eight things that was done in Lashon So just briefly, the Parsha of Egla Rufa appears at the end of Parsha Shoftim. The halacha is, as we'll see, and we'll discuss in much detail in this parak, that if a dead body is found between two cities, 
and you don't know which where what happened, how he died. So they would measure the closest city, and then the Zikanim would have to go out to that city that it was closest to in a barren valley, decapitated calf, and say certain psukim, essentially showing they're not responsible for this. And that was some sort of a kapara uh, for the death of this individual. So those psukim they said were in Lashna Kaidish. That's the point. So it says the Mishnah, Egla Rufa Lashna Kaidish. Egla Rufa had to be done in Lashna Kaidish, and Emar. As it says in the Pasuk at the end of Parsha Shaiftim, when you find a dead body in your land. Now, it doesn't show us how that's in Lashna Kaddish. The Gemara will clarify the Raya. Continues the Mishnah. It says, Who would go out? Your elders and your judges. This is the Tanakam, which we'll see in the Gemara's Rabbi Shimon's opinion. Three of the Beisdin Agadol of the Sanhedrin would go out to do this process. Rebuta says it was five. Shenera, because the Pasuk says, which is Shnaim, your elders, plural, which is two, and your judges, which is Shnaim, another two, plural, based in Shakla. You can't have an even number in a court. You have to add one more. Therefore, Rebuta says it was five. Today, the final discussions of today will be explaining this machlaikis. Continues the Mishnah. There are exceptions when you don't have to do the Egla Rufa procedure. If you found the dead body, uh, under a pile of rocks or hanging in a tree, at Zephal Panayamayim or floating on the water, Lahayu orphan, they would not do this procedure. Shanemar, as the Pasuk says, Ba'adama Vilaytom Begal. Ba'adama excludes the fact it can't be covered in rocks and has to be visible on the ground. Noifil Vilaytale Be'ilan. It has to be that it's fallen on the ground but not hanging in a tree. And Basado, when it says in the field, Vilaytzafal Panayamayim, not floating on the water. So these would all be exceptions. Similarly, Nimsa Samachlasfar if it was near a border, Ayla Irshruba Ibde Kechavim, or near a city that wasn't uh, mostly Goyim, Ayla Irshaimba Bazdin, or a city that wasn't a Bazdin, Alaihaya Orphan, they would not do this procedure of Egla Arufa. Okay, the, the Bach adds in over here, Loihayu Maididin. They wouldn't measure. We'll see in the Gemara, we'll see exactly uh, what, how it goes, because that is a big nafgamina if you wouldn't measure, or they wouldn't do the procedure at all. And the Mishnah finishes, Ein Maididin, and this is go with the Bach's gears, I guess that makes more sense, because the if it was near a Jewish city, um, that, uh, like the first example, Nismach Samach Lesfar, Lechayr, you would still do Eglarufi, you just wouldn't have to measure, but let's see, really, because that's not so pasher. Ein Maididin, El Eir, Sheyesh, Babezdin, you wouldn't measure uh, unless it's a city that has a uh, based in. You wouldn't measure unless if it's a city that has a base. Now this whole line seems to be extra, but we'll uh, see in the Gemara how he explained it. Zakti Gemara, Maika Omar. So the Gemara says, what's the source that it's in Lashna? Akaidish Lachaira, it wasn't clear. So Amr Biavoachikomer, this is the source in Amr, because it says over here, Vanuva Amru, that the Zikanim would say, Yadenu Lashafko Sadama Zel, Alanu Aimer and elsewhere, when it talks about uh, the the close and brachas by Hargrizim and Haravel, it says would speak up and say, Just as over there uh, was done in Lashna Kodesh, so to here it's in Lashna Kodesh. And the Mishnah continues, Kate said, What was the procedure? So the Pasuk says, Find a dead body. Your elders and Shoftim would go out. Three from the Beis and Agadol and Yishlaim would go out. That's Rabbi Shimon's opinion. It was five. Let's get into that Machlaikis now. says the Brisa. Your elders and your shoftim would go out. So this is going to be Rabbi Yehuda's opinion. 
Zekinecha, your elders, is two, because it's plural. Shaftecha and your judges, Shnaim, it's another two. Ain't based in Shakal, but you can't have an even number in a based in Wasifin Alainoidecha. So you add one more, Rekan Chamisha, the Rebbe Yudavid says, therefore there was a total of five. Rabbi Shemanaim, Zekinecha, Shnaim, Zekinecha is two. Ain't based in Shakal, you can't have an even number. Wasifin Alainoidecha, so you add one more. Rekan Shlaisha, that's why you have a total of threes. Asks the Gemara, Rabbi Shemanami Haksiv Shaftecha. Obviously, Rabbi Shemanas asked the Darshan Shaftecha. What is it used for? Answers the Gemara, Mi Boyle, Lemi Yuchan Shaftecha teaches you that it had to be the special judges. What are the special judges? From Lishkasagazis, the Sanhedrin. Rabbi Yehuda doesn't need Shaftecha for that, so he uses it for another two because he derives from Ziknecha. It could have just said Zikne. Ziknecha is, is, is a specific, it means a specific type of elder referring to the Sanhedrin. Rabbi Shimon, Ikas of Rahman, Rabbi Shimon responds like this Ikas of Rahman is Zikne. If it would have only written Zikne and not Ziknecha, you don't need proper judges. Any elders in the shuk are, are enough to do this procedure. So Kasev Rachman has to say, no, they're special judges, uh, those that are judges of the courts. Because of Rahman is but if it only said Ziknecha and not Shoftecha, says Rabbi Shimon, Hava Amina Sanhedrik Tana. So maybe yeah, it has to be judges of the courts, but maybe it's even a twenty-three person based and not necessarily the seventy-one of the Sanhedrin. Kasav Rahman of Shoftecha, so by writing Shoftecha teaches you, Lemiuchadan Shib Shoftecha, it has to be the unique ones, the special ones, which is of the Sanhedrin Agadal. The Gemara says Barab Yehuda, how does he respond to that? Maybe Taka, that's what it refers to, meaning if you only have Ziknecha, um, which to teach, to teach you, Ziknecha that it's miyuchadin, but maybe it just means the twenty-three person Sanhedrin, not necessarily the seventy-one. So he says back, Gomer zikne zikne mizikne aedu. We have a parsha in the Torah called Parhelam Davar Shel Tzibur. Speaking of Sefer Vayikra, it says that the if the court paskins that the Jewish people are allowed to do a certain avera, that's a chiyuv karis, made a mistake, so then they have to bring a special korban. Uh, Parhelam Davar Shel Tzibor, and they have to lean on it. And Rabbi Yudah holds over there that there were five of the Zikanim that had to do it. So he learns a Gezerah Shavah Zikne Zikne from there. Just as over there, it had to be specifically from the Sanhedrin Agadol who were involved in that smicha. So to over here, it was also the Zikanim Shavah the specific, not 23, but from the Sanhedrin Agadol. Asks the Gemari I Gamar, but if he learns from that source, he holds over there it also only had to be five. So Ligmar Lakula Mel Hasam. Why do you need any of these words, here altogether? You should be able to learn the entire idea that there was also only five required here. And Zikinecha Vishaftecha Lamali, what does Rabbi Huda now need these words of Zikinecha Vishaftecha for? So Ella, the way Rashi learns this is really he does not learn from the Gezer Shava. Now the Bach adds in some words which are important, and Bach says like this. Ela teaches us like Rabbi Shimon that it has to be miyuchadim which means it has to be the specific the um, miyuchadim. It has to be shayftach um, actually like Rabbi Shimon, which means it has to be this the miyuchadim has to be from the Sanhedrin Agadol. Vav leminyana and vav is for its number, which means like this. It comes out according to Rabbi Yehuda. Zikenecha teaches you two, which is Rabbi Shimon agrees to. Um, the Vav of this Shaftecha teaches you another two. Aim based in Shakal, so you need five. And Shaftecha itself teaches you Miyuchad and Shabbat Shaftecha. 
Continues the Gemara of Rabbi Shimon, turning to Memhe Amad Aleph. Now, Vav Lemash Malay, he doesn't hold that there's any drush in the Vav, and therefore all you have is Zekinecha teaches you two, Ein Bezdin Shakal, so you need three, and Shoftecha teaches you Miyachad and Shavish Shoftecha. Asks the Gemara, Tap Memhe Amad Aleph, Elamayata, but according to what you're saying, that the plurality of Zekinecha and Shoftecha means two and two, or two according to Rabbi Shimon, you have other words that are plural in that context. It says Viyatsu, it should be another Shnaim, Umadadu, and a measure Shnaim, it should be another Shnaim. So Rabbi Huda Re Kantish, according to Rabbi Huda, come out to be nine. Rabbi Shimon Arikan Shiva would be seven. So the Gemara answer is not a problem because those words are used for other drushes. Haomi Baile, Lechadetanya, for the Brisa, teaches as follows Viyatsu, Viyatsu teaches us Hain Velesh Luchain. It's an exception, exemption, or uh, it's a mute exception. It says Hain. Viyatsu means they themselves, the Sanhedrin, have to go out to do this procedure, but not their messengers. Even if it's clearly visible which city it's closest to, Umadadu teaches us how you might it, and they would still have to measure there's a mitzvah to be involved in the measurements, even if it's clear which city it's closest to. So therefore, the Gemara says is, the mission, the Gemara concludes that we have this machlek, if it's three or five, and these psukim teach us other uh, other drushes. Now, I just want to point out is that the prior, when it said in the Mishnah, Nimsa Samach Lesfar, or the Irish Rubai, the Kram, the Irish Emba Medida, Lohayu, we had two sheetas in the Mishnah there, Lohayu, Orphan, Lohayu, and here it says very clearly that you still have to measure even if it's obvious which city it's closest to. So we're going to have to explain that line. Maybe Bez Hashem later in the Sugi will explain that line. Okay, we're stopping the top of Memhe Amad Aleph, Bez Hashem. We'll continue with Daf Memhe tomorrow. Everybody have a wonderful day.